Well, g'day everyone. Welcome back to the extras. My name is Jack. And I'm Raj. Thanks for tuning in, everyone. Yeah, great to have you with us and great to have uh, you with us too, Raj. How are you traveling on this first week uh, post so-called Freedom Day? Well, post Freedom Day, look, I think I said on Sunday, I, I um, was looking forward to heading into town, having a bit of a run. In fact, someone put a, a, a text in just to point out to me that um, running and taking selfies don't really mix. Indeed. Um, and so I'm, I'm considering taking that on board. But look, this this Freedom Week, I guess, is, has been, you know, I look out the window at the moment, it's raining, yeah. as it has most week. So um, anyway, but there's still, you know, different things planned. Jack, your birthday today as we're recording. Happy birthday, mate. Thank you, Raj. Yes. 30 years old today. Uh, what a privilege to be on the extras on my birthday, getting to uh, wrestle with the questions of the people of St. Paul's. Yeah, uh, nothing I'd be rather be doing. Well, you're very kind. I know you've had a, a, a lovely breakfast with your family already and dinner coming on tonight. And, yeah, that's right. Um, Katie surprised me at breakfast with a, a, a gift voucher out for tonight. So, yeah, very kind of the whole state to open up the restaurants and everything, especially for my birthday week. I'm, I'm <laughs> very grateful for that. There you go. I, I tell my daughter her, her birthday's on April 25th. I tell her like, the country closes down every year just to make her birthday. Oh, having a, oh, a public holiday birthday must be wonderful. I, man, that's that's a gift. Yeah, that's a good thing. Well, it's not so good when you have brothers playing in the Anzac Day March. Yeah, okay. Who anyway, sorry, we're not here to talk about that. We're here to talk about Matthew 14 and questions. We are. Um, Thank you. Thanks for getting us back on track. As we get into it, can you remind us uh, where we've been in Matthew 14? We've been here a few weeks. What did we see on Sunday? What were some of the main points for us to take away? Yeah, thank you. So Matthew 14, I, I think we're, what we're seeing overall is just um, um, we, 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 we've come out of chapter 13, a number of parables that are teaching us about the kingdom and the nature of the kingdom. And we're moving into chapter 14 and we're, we're honing in on Jesus and who he is. So the passage the previous week, feeding the 5,000, um, in fact, there's, there's actually a, just a question about this which we'll come to, but but I think the distinctive we see in the feeding of the 5,000 is Jesus being the shepherd, mm. and we're really, you know, honing in onto a really significant time in from verse 22 onwards, which was where, where we looked on Sunday, where we actually see Jesus is God. And, and so we're just seeing that, that whole thing escalate, hone in, sharpen. Yeah. Huge, huge implications what we see here. Uh, yeah, thank you for starting to get us into that again. We'll jump into your questions, uh, those of you who've sent them in. Uh, one to kick us off, first few questions, just wrestling with a few of the details in the text. One person's asked, what's with all of the immediately's in this passage? It feels like there's more than the surrounding passages, and is that significant? So flesh that, I might point to a few of them. So the passage starts, uh, verse 22, immediately Jesus made the disciples get in the boat. Verse 27, immediately Jesus said to them, take courage. Verse 31, immediately Jesus reached out his hand and caught Peter. Real kind of rapid fire action. Yeah, what do we make of that? Yeah, thanks, Jack. And, and the person who put the question in, excellent question, which is just picking up on something we see in the Bible and the clues in the Bible and the importance of words and grammar and so on. And, and that's absolutely right. The, the word immediately is used here more than in the surrounding. And that just is communicating urgency. And it, it, again, it's consistent with this honing in. There's something very significant that Jesus is about to do. 
Um, so verse 22, immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat. You know, it's purposeful. Mm. Um, then we, we we come down to the next one, um, verse 27. So so now the disciples have just seen Jesus walking on the Sea of Galilee. They're terrified. It's a ghost. And immediately, you know, Jesus responds. He doesn't want to leave them hanging. Mm. Um, and, and he has something significant to say. And then again, uh, Peter, he's drowning. He takes his eyes off the save. He looks to the storms, as I put it on Sunday. And verse 31, immediately. So, so there's this heightened um, sense that something significant is happening, mm. uh, marked by the urgency with which Jesus, Jesus actions, uh, Jesus is engaging in his actions. So, I, I love the question, mm. which just is, is is helping us hone in on something very significant. Yeah, helpful. Thank you. Uh, we'll keep going. Question two today. Someone says, well, firstly, Raj, thank you for an encouraging message. Uh, I'd echo that indeed. The question, so this person's confused. Do verses 34 to 36 imply that Jesus somehow got distracted, swept away by the crowd? Uh, is that an either or? How does he manage both? He can and does manage both. I'm not quite sure yeah, what yeah thank you. And yep. Thank you. Look, I, I don't want to push that too far. Um, I really appreciate the question and the opportunity just to, you know, speak to it a little bit. Um, if we pick up on the first question, the immediately and the urgency and, and the significant thing that's happening with really Jesus saying he is the great I am of the Old Testament. He is God. Um, and then, so I just tried to, on Sunday, I used this language of good to great, picking up on the title of a famous book. And, and there's all kinds of good things that are happening. And so verses 34 to 36 is just another example. Jesus is healing the sick. That is a really good thing. And yet, yet I just, th this text is, is honing us on this scene on the lake where Jesus says, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. There is so much in that, um, uh, picking back on the Old Testament, picking, you know, picking up on, on other things, picking up on our future. And, and so... I think we need to be careful not to say that the good things are a distraction. So I apologize if I said that, or if I was heard to say that, mm. um, but, but at the same time, you know, the, the shut, the pointy end of Mark chapter 14 is very much his teaching of the disciples and of us that he's God. Yeah. Um, and I think my point on Sunday was, you know, we move from good, the feeding of the 5,000 to the great Jesus identity as the son, as, as God. Um, but then the crowds just haven't quite caught up with that. They're, they're back on the good. And I think there's something in there for us because there's all kinds of good things we can do and, and should do, don't get me wrong. But Jesus has a greater agenda. Mm. And as Matthew's gospel moves through, he keeps, he keeps coming back and taking up the opportunities presented to him through the good to try to point people to the great. Yeah. So, when, I mean, when we hear good and great, maybe that's something more an issue with us listeners as we hear that it's it sounds like well if there's something great then the thing that's good must be you know less great like you know there's a we we hear good as bad if it's in contrast to great and you're not saying that those things are bad but you're saying that in all these good things they're doing there's actually a you know the the huge massive kind of weighty thing is his his divine identity which is above and beyond all the other good he's doing yeah I, i'm not sure if this sort of parallel works jack you know there's a danger in all the illustrations, but just just imagine, you know, in a conversation with someone um, talking about, 
a child or talking about something else. Um, imagine if you had a child who had just won the 100-metre swimming final. And there you are talking with someone else. They don't know this. Mm. Um, you're talking with them just about, you know, which school they go to and um, what their last birthday was like. And, you know, there you are inside. And there's been this, they've just won the Olympic 100-metre swimming final. Mm. You know, now talking about the school, that's good. Talking about what they were like when they were five, that's good. But there is just this absolutely huge thing that you're chomping at the bit, something that just usurps everything else. It's not bad. It's not wrong to talk about the other things, but there's there's just something far, appropriately, far more significant um, that that for those who know would say would say this is the elephant in the room, mm. um, and and it should be named and it should be talked about. And once you start talking about that, once you realise that. Um, it's not that the other things are bad, but there's there's just there's something even greater here to talk about. Yeah, there's something climactic here. Yeah, no, that's helpful. I think that's, that's a helpful analogy. Um, there was another question about the the good and great use of the language there, but I think we've covered that too. So we'll come on to uh, the questions after that. We had a few questions coming in about this this idea of Jesus being the Son of God. So let's get into a few of those. Uh, one person's asked or made a comment really. Surely the disciples were further down the track of understanding who Jesus was. Uh, compared to the people at the side of the lake who are a step behind. You know, surely the disciples are ready to declare that Jesus is the Son of God uh, as they, you know, from what they've seen of him so far. Yeah, would you like to comment on that? Um, look, I think there's there's something really helpful in that question. The disciples, they were closer to Jesus. You know, we, we, we've learned in other places the nature of parables and often Jesus would let the disciples into parables. So yes, they were further along, um, and I think, uh, I think as we, um, you know, compare the two groups, I just think we need to take it a bit easy on both the crowd and the disciples because, yeah, right. you know, they're still coming to grips with this. We have the benefit of the Bible. We have the benefit of hindsight. We live on this side of a cross, this side of a resurrection, this side of a Bible. We see how it all works together. But the question's quite right. The 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 people on the other side of the lake, they are a step behind. Mm. Uh, I, I think I don't want to, you know, read a criticism into them. I, I more want to reflect back on us. We have the whole picture uh, and, and we should see the great, you know, on top of the good. But I also think the disciples, I just, I, I may have said this on Sunday as well, actually, that... Um, um, their journey in faith happened over a period of time yeah and often they came back to the same things again and again and i think this is particularly clear in mark's gospel where the same phrase is used you know they 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 heard something jesus taught and they believed mm. and there's that kind of refrain continually in mark's gospel uh and you kind of think after a while hang on didn't haven't they already believed but but I, I think the issue may actually be us and just our scientific age, but you know, and our, our view of time, but once mm. we've got something, we've got it. But I reckon when we think back to our hearts, I suspect it's true. We all go through the same journey that takes time and we believe and it's, and hence, you know, I, I talked on Sunday, one step forward, two steps back. It's, it's, yeah. it's all in our journey. 
um, including the disciples. So, so probably right to say they were more ready because they were let in, the disciples. But I still look at that in, in a relativistic sense compared to those rather than a absolute sense. Once they got it, they got it because they don't, and I'm pretty sure we don't. Yeah, I think that's helpful. Yeah, I think especially once you start to pull the Gospels together, you do get, I think you get kind of complementary perspectives on the idea of discipleship. So I often think of in Mark and Matthew, the the people who come to Jesus just as a one-off, just to be healed, often they're the ones who straight away, like blind Bartimaeus at the end of Mark chapter 10, you know, he finds Jesus in Jericho, says, you know, son of David, help me. Jesus heals him. And then he's like, right. And he's up and he, and he follows Jesus straight away. And you have this really quick kind of rapid realization who Jesus is and he just follows him and I think the the apostles want us to hear that story to show you here's what it looks like to kind of just this singular once-off yes Jesus is Lord you follow him so we meant to take that on board an example but then you also see the much longer drawn out you know the, the years long uh, interactions that the, the apostles had with Jesus because yeah it's yeah. a journey so I think you see both the instantaneous and, and the journey you know, interestingly as well, Jack, you've just got me thinking, all of that's very helpful, thinking you, you talk about the apostles. I think about the apostle Paul, right? You know, mm. and, and there's just one line in Acts 9 or or thereabouts that just, you know, after he had his revelation on the Damascus Road, he actually went away for three years. Yeah. And and we actually don't know much about what happened in that three years. Like, like so we read the the accounts, at, you know, in the, in the sequence they're given to us. Mm. And there's just that one line. <laughs> yeah. You know, three, three years is a long time just to be shaped by by the Lord and, and his word and um, process. So I, I just think, yeah, it's it's worth us, you know, understanding that it takes time. Mm. And I also think putting into place things that reflect it takes time. And, and if I may, this is just an opportunity, I think, to this is why I think growth groups are so important. Um, to learn together in community with others. I think mm. church is important. Um, these days we have wonderful access to a whole bunch of podcasts and all kinds of other things we can do, books, um, because that 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 journey of faith and transformation, it does take time. Yeah. For those who are listening, we trust that that's something that you are keen for as well since you're listening to this. Uh, and we'd encourage you to, yeah, keep keep tuning in, dig deep from the word. Uh, it's all, it's a long-term growth process. You might have to think who you could, you know, give a gentle nudge to consider if they'd listen to the extras as well. Uh, all those other things Roger's mentioned, yeah, because it's a, it's a lifelong journey. Helpful. We'll keep going. Uh, another question about this Son of God idea. Someone's asked, did the disciples worship Jesus as God or as the King of Israel, like a King David or one of the kings? Uh, or is being able to perform miracles something that kings do so they recognize him as Son of God? Or was it a like the God the Son type of way? So lots of kind of possibilities in there. Uh, but someone asking, yeah, uh, when when the disciples worship Jesus here, is it is it as God or as the King? Maybe that's a way to summarize it. Yeah, thank you. That's a really helpful summary, Jack. Um, and my own thought is, and I'll be interested in your comment, Jack. But my own thought is a bit of both. That is, they're growing in their understanding. Here is the climate or one of the climactic moments in Matthew's gospel. I think it's the first time they actually come to that point of confession that truly you are the son of God, verse 33. 
Um, but as we've already talked about, that's a journey that they then have to process and they come back to it. So I think, you know, in their terms, they they were waiting for the King of Israel mm. and the only categories they had for that were human categories. Um, of and, and you think about at, at this juncture in world history, what that meant was a highly military-based, you know, conquest kind of idea. Mm. Um, that's what kings did. They, they led you off into battle and they won the battle and they conquered territories and, you know, enlarged their kingdom. Um, that's the only concept they had. Now, what Jesus is trying to do is pick up on that but expand it and, and push the idea of a kingdom into the eternal realm. Um, and so kingdom of God is is quite prominent in Matthew's gospel, especially leading up to this point. Mm. So, yeah, so it's a bit of a journey for them. Um, um, the two things are not, you know, certainly not synonymous, but, but Jesus is trying to build on, and the Bible is trying to build on, you know, Jesus as God as pushing us into the eternal kingdom, but based on the categories that we understand about human kingship. Um, the, the question is is a good one. Like it, it, it's hard to capture it just talking about it because it's, you know, Son of God, capital case G for God. But but the comparison is, you know, like a God the Son, lowercase, both cases. So, you know, just just viewing it as someone who's, you know, like a God in this world. Um, um, now Jesus, I think, clearly is pushing them to something more. He's walking on water, mm. and walking on water, feeding five thousand. Uh, they are not things that human kings did. Yeah. Uh, and, yeah, so he is, he's building on it, but he's pushing it to another level. Do, do you have a comment on that, Jack? Um, I I find it quite a, a tough question. I think everything you said there is helpful. Um, and I think that part of the answer is similar to what you said before, the disciples are on this journey. Like, these are, you know, good Jewish young men who were raised in the synagogue, you know, reciting the, the Shema every week from Deuteronomy 6, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. They know that there's one God. They know that, you know, that you're called to worship the Lord your God and Him only. They're all the kinds of things that these guys grew up believing. And then they met this guy, Jesus, and left their nets and left everything and followed Him and watched Him, you know, like we saw just before, feeding the 5,000, like bringing the bread from heaven, like manna in the desert as God did in the Exodus. They see him walking on the water like God is said to do in, um, it's in Psalm somewhere or Isaiah. Um, yeah, they see this man doing things only God can do. And that's, that is paradigm shattering. You know, that's yeah. just remaking everything that they thought they knew about the universe. So yeah, they fall on their knees and worship him. Um, does that mean at that point that they knew that this was, God incarnate. Uh, I'm not sure if they would have known that by this point, but very clearly here's a man who's come with the power and authority of God. I take it the disciples wrestled with that for a while, but certainly by the end of the story, I mean, you look at John's account of the, the work of Jesus and after the resurrection, when Thomas finally gets to see the risen Lord Jesus and Jesus says, you know, here I am, put your hand in my side, stop doubting, believe. And Thomas says, my Lord and my God. And he gets yeah. it by then. Um, yeah. So, at some point along the way, the penny drops. Uh, I, I imagine the resurrection is probably the, the final kind of you know piece of the puzzle in a way. Um, but it's I think it's an evolving well, story. Look, I think that's 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 fair. And yet, I think I said on Sunday, you take the apostle Peter, right? And even after the resurrection, we see in Galatians, he still had struggles, you know, embracing God's plan mm. 
and, and a, whole, a whole bunch of different things. So I just, I actually take great encouragement from it. And we're going to come to some more questions on doubt in just a moment. But, yeah. but maybe there's the key, I think, to the end, my, my own reflections on that. I look at their journey and it's just a great encouragement for me yeah. in my own struggles and thinking, you know, I'm not going to have it all sorted before the Lord returns. Mm. Now, that that's not an excuse for me not to soak myself in his word and not to, you know, engage with God's people and not to be on that journey of transformation. But, you know. Just on the podcast, sorry. Sorry about that. Sorry, Sam's just walked into the office and wished me happy birthday. Thanks, Sam, if you're listening. Um, we're gonna <laughs> we're gonna keep going. We've got one more question on this topic. So uh, again, that phrase, the Son of God. Someone's asked, uh, is the phrase Son of God? What is it, and is it different to the concept of God the Son? Yeah, thank you. That's a very helpful and insightful question. Um, there is a difference between those terms. I think there's a huge overlap in in the practical implications of it. But let's start with God the Son, which really the emphasis there is talking about the second person of the Trinity. Um, we were talking about this before, Jack, and mm. there's there's lots of places in the Bible, but John chapter 1, verse 18, uh, let me just flick over to that and read that and give you a chance to do the same. So John 1, 18, um, no one has ever seen God but the one and only Son who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father has made him known. So John's gospel, you know, keeps talking about the three persons of the Trinity in different ways. There's relationships between them, and we see that God the Son uh, is the second person of the Trinity. Now, that is a slightly different emphasis to the term Son of God, which is largely tapping into the messianic expectation that we see growing through the Old Testament. Um, and, and, so again, Jack, now you suggested this once again, and I thank you for that, but Psalm, Psalm 2 is one of the classic places we see that. Um, Psalm 2, I'm just going to go there myself and give people a chance to flick there as well. Nice, Psalm 2. Um, Yeah, so Psalm 2, so verse 6, for example, um, let me start verse 6. I have installed my king on Zion, my holy mountain. I will proclaim the Lord's decree. He said to me, you are my son. Today I have become your father. Mm. And um, and, and it goes on. In fact, other parts of the Bible pick up on Psalm 2, highly significant in just developing this messianic expectation. We see the king language once again. Um, uh, in earthly terms, but also with, you know, Zion being pu- pushing us also into heavenly terms. Mm. And and so we could talk more about that. And, you know, when we come to an appropriate passage in a sermon, I'm, I'm sure we will. Yeah. But yeah. but at a, at a macro level, they, they are the distinctions. God, the son, second person of the Trinity, son of God, uh, the messianic expectation of the Old Testament. Mm. Now, they both coalesce in Jesus but they're they're just referring to slightly different things. Yeah, helpful. Yeah, really helpful distinction there. That's great. Thank you. Uh, We'll come on to a couple of questions to wrap us up, thinking about some of the implications of this. Uh, You really helpfully uh, helped us to see how Peter's experience on the water connects with our own experience of faith and struggling with faith. Uh, We've got a couple of questions about doubt. So first one of those, why did Peter doubt Jesus if he knew that he is God? 
Yeah, so I, I think I think we've talked a bit about that already today. I also have a feeling that question came in early in the sermon and I spoke about that a reasonable amount. Mm. Um, and I, I just think it's tied up with this journey of faith, one step forward, two steps back, or two steps forward, one step back. And we see it in, in you know, Peter, one of the lead apostles. And I think uh, it, that's a very powerful encouragement for us. And and I just think even though we know things consistently, the human experience because of sin is that we don't necessarily act on things. Um, and, and you know, we, we need to keep working to be, have our hearts more like Christ. Um, and so I think Peter's, the, the classic moment is just after Jesus is arrested and Peter denies Jesus three times. Yeah. Even after Jesus has you know, predict, predicted that that's what would happen and Peter denied it vehemently and and so on. Um, so, yeah, Peter had struggles. We have struggles. Yeah, indeed. Well, as we wrap it up, let's talk about our struggles. Uh, last question today. Someone's asked, how should we tackle doubts? Is it okay to explore doubts? This person says, I find myself having doubts and sometimes it feels like I shouldn't share this with anyone else in case I put doubt on their faith. Uh, if I should explore it, how should I go about that? Should I come from an unbiased perspective that the Bible could be incorrect? Or should I come at it from a perspective of faith? Lots of uh, questions there. I really appreciate this, this person's honesty and vulnerability texting that in. Raj, help us explore that. How do we tackle doubt? Thank you, Jack. And thank you, likewise, for the person putting the question. It's, it's multifaceted and that's really helpful. Um, Look, I, I think this question came up at my church and I said there that I actually would love to see our church have an environment where people are okay talking about these issues with one another. Mm. I think one of the gifts the Lord has given us uh, is one another and Christian community. I think we should we should be open and honest and help one another in these struggles. Um, I think we all have them from time to time. For myself, I didn't say this on Sunday, but here's a little bonus thing for the extras. Um, I remember when I was at Moore College, I think it was second year Moore College. You know, I went through a reasonable period of doubt. Mm. And and I remember, you know, talking with lots of people and I'm, I'm sure lots of people became sick of me at that time. But I was so, I look back and I was just so thankful for the environment of people who cared. Mm. Um, and I could be open and I could talk through them and, and, it may be that all of the pe- different people said the same thing, but I had to go on my own journey and come out of that the other end. Now, you'll be pleased to know I did with those particular issues. Um, um, and it was just, you know, all, all kinds of questions were tied up for me. You know, maybe on another occasion I can talk more about that. But I wouldn't worry about putting, you know, doubt in the mind of someone else. I think, I think, God has given us, like if we do that, then we're not open and honest with each other. Mm. And yet the Bible tells us not to give up meeting together to encourage one another. Yeah. Um, and I, I think that the more honest we are with one another, be it about doubts or be it about sin in our lives or whatever else it might be, the, the better position our brothers and sisters in Christ are in to help us Yeah. Um, in, in those areas. So I would encourage people to explore doubts. Um, I would encourage you to be open. There's, there's, uh, I think one of the tips I just really struck me from this passage is Jesus' question uh, to Peter, why did you doubt? And yeah. so he's actually pushing Peter to the, to, if I can distinguish it like this, to the 
heart experience of doubt and is pushing Peter into the rationality of it and looking into the objective facts that we have in a way that Peter didn't have because we have the death of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus, the ascension of Jesus and so on. Mm. Um, and I just think often when we think rationally and the more we allow ourselves to do that, I, I just find that is so often then a key for the head to impact the heart. Mm. Um, I think Colossians talks about the knowledge knowledge being a key component that impacts the whole being. Um, and I think brothers and sisters can really help in that journey. Yeah. Very helpful. Do you want to wait that, Jack? Yeah, I'd want to echo your exhortation wholeheartedly. Uh, I am always saddened when I hear stories, because I hear this kind of story way too often, of people who grew up in the church, uh, at some point really started to wrestle with the faith for themselves, had a lot of hard questions about, yeah, can I trust the Bible? Did Jesus really rise? Is God really there? But were part of church communities where that was discouraged, where people said, "Oh, you shouldn't, you shouldn't question these kinds of things. Like, you just need to accept it." And the discouragement of of having those dates, sorry, those doubts, you know, eat away at you without having the chance to bring it to the light of day and actually interrogate it meant those people basically chucked in the faith and walked away. And I think that that's a tragedy. So, as you said, I I am just sort of desperate for our church to be a place where it's okay to, to raise those sorts of issues. So this is, this is part of why we have the extras, why we have Q and a, like we, we want to give people the, an, an avenue to, yeah, if you've got questions, text them in. We think that's a good thing. Yeah. Um, I mean, and, 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 and if your questions, you know, if it's too late now, just reach out, you know, contact you or I or someone else, mm. a growth group leader, whoever it is. Um, Cause like you, Jack, it, it is a tragedy when you hear those stories. And I just find myself thinking, I wish I knew, yeah and my response you know in that situation is not to not to say people shouldn't have doubts but i just want to encourage people to explore them Mm. and be open about them yeah i mean maybe to give it just a couple of just to to wrap it up a couple of examples is what you could do i mean coming from my own experience i mean i can relate to what you said raj i've had two really massive times of doubting the faith in my time one one was when i was 19 and kind of just finished youth group in high school and went through a bit of a a crisis of faith in first year uni. The other time was at the start of third year of more college for me. College does have this habit of kind of, you know, disintegrating you and then bringing you back together. That's, that's part of how it works. But um, it's very, yeah, it was very difficult times. And uh, if you are in a position where you're, you know, maybe it's, you know, you're reading about, you know, different parts of the Old Testament and how can that really be historically true? Or it's, you know, you're wrestling with the goodness of God, if he if he really does, you know, predestine some people to not partake of the gift of eternal life, which is what we're going to be wrestling with a bit in Romans 9 in the week ahead. When those sorts of things come up, I think the crucial thing to do is to, to come back to the core of the gospel, to come back to the death and the resurrection of our Lord Jesus. If, if Jesus really walked out of that tomb, then everything else he else has said is true, then God is for us, then God's word is true and has not failed and his promises will all hold. That is the linchpin of history. Uh, And coming back to what the word says about Jesus and his resurrection and what it tells us about the character of God, coming back to look at the the historical evidence for the resurrection of Jesus. uh, In my times of crisis, anchoring things there has been the thing that has helped me to hold on. And I hope and pray it will help you hold on too. Yeah. Thanks, Jake. That's really helpful. We're going to wrap it up there. Uh, I might give us just a little forecast of where we're going this coming Sunday. As I mentioned, we are about to shift gears and start our, our Roman series for this year. Uh, over 
Term four, in addition to a few other things as we kind of come back to church in person, we'll have a few weeks particularly thinking about that. But the bulk of this term four, we are going to be looking at Romans chapters 9 to 11. We've been working through Romans over a couple of years as a church. We're picking that back up again this Sunday. I am excited for this meaty and deep part of the scriptures as we get to wrestle with God's plan for this universe uh, from before the foundation of the world. God's plan to sovereignly choose and show mercy to the people who he wants to save. Uh, we're going to be thinking hard about that as we get into Romans 9. Sam Russell and I are bringing that to you on Sunday. We are yeah, excited, uh, praying that God would do a great work, uh, helping us to uh, expand our view of who he is over the next few weeks. So look forward to that. Thanks for listening in today. Uh, we're going to leave it there uh, and God bless and we'll see you again on Sunday. See you everyone. Thanks for tuning in.